Hey, welcome back to the First Cup Podcast, and we are so excited to have you. Hey, I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners, all our subscribers. I want to thank you so much for leaning in to our podcast, and you know, it helps us so much when you review, comment, subscribe. We want to hear your feedback. We want to let you, we want to hear from you what's really stood out to you, something you've learned. So let us know whatever platform you listen to our podcast on. Let us know in the reviews or the comments of, of wherever it is, and thank you so much for all of your subscriptions. We can't wait to see where this podcast is going. And with that being said, today on the First Cup podcast, the first cup that we're enjoying is a cup from Verve, and it's a coffee, and uh, I'm probably going to say this wrong, uh, but it's an Ethiopian coffee. I'm not even going to say the name of it because I don't want to butcher it and do a disservice <laughs> to the roast, but it's an Ethiopian coffee, and uh, it here it says it is frag- fragrantly floral with a creamy body in a soft peachy acidity. That's actually what my wife describes me as. Um, <laughs> those same things. Um, soft peachy acidity. Oh my gosh. Uh, but shout out to Verve. Verve is one of my favorite coffee shops here in LA. And I've had an incredible opportunity to shoot for them in the past and enjoy their coffee. So shout out to Verve. But with us today, we don't just have our producer, Bryce Ritter. Bryce, why don't you say what's up? How's it going? Again, always coming in with the best intros. And uh, we have with us a special guest, our first guest ever on the First Cup podcast. Yes. We have with us Andrew Money Martz. Say what's up, Andrew. It is such an honor to be here. And I was nervous you were going to ask me about my first cup uh, of coffee, which (laughs) never lives up to the first cup featured blend on the first cup podcast. Oh my gosh. Uh, but listen, I'm a fan. I'm a subscriber. I'm a reviewer. Hey, so thank you for that. Love uh, love being here. Andrew, you can't just say, you know, you were hoping that we wouldn't ask you about your first cup. What are you drinking right now? I'm I'm drinking a, a venti from Starbucks. Nice. A venti? Um, I think I'm the last person on the planet who still orders ventis. I think so. <laughs> but I mean, I'm more of a, a quantity over a quality guy. Okay. I, I grew up okay. on, on okay. Dunkin' Donuts. Shout out, America runs on Dunkin'. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, it it doesn't, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I appreciate a good cup of coffee, but I don't have the developed palate that you do. So yeah. I can get I can get by with a, a cup from Mel's Diner. You know, I'm down with that. See. He, okay, here's here's something interesting. People think that I drink a ridiculous amount of coffee, but I'm such a snob now that I maybe have one, maybe two cups of coffee a day. Right. And I wish I was at the place where I could just enjoy coffee, period. Ignorance just drinking it bliss. like water. Yes, ignorance is bliss. Now I'm just like the snobbiest, most stuck-up coffee person, and I hate that about <clears throat> myself. But at the same time, I love that about myself. Yeah. Like, Nate, why are you whispering in the mic right now? Good hey, question. can we take that out, Bryce? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But, Andrew, we, uh, you know, we've known each other for a long time. I mean, the three of us, Bryce included, we've, we've known each other for a long time. And I think what I value so much about our friendship isn't just the ability for you to add value in your knowledge, but adding value in who you are, the life that you live, the husband that you are to Teresa, the father that you are to your children. And so I feel like it's such an honor. It's a privilege to have you on. Today, we are going to talk about some some money stuff coming up, uh, hence the nickname Money Marts. And, but before we do so, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself. You live here in Los Angeles. Maybe talk to us about your family. What do you, what do, you do for a living? Like, why are we talking to you about money and not someone off the street, you know? 
Great. Yeah. So uh, live in Los Angeles here with my wife, Teresa. We have two kids, uh, three and one, Maverick and Monroe. Um, they are the best part of my life. Uh, been living in Los Angeles for about 10 years now. So I think that Jeez. makes me official. Yes. I'm officially yes. a Los Angelino, uh, originally from the great state of New York, uh, but not the cool part. So you tell people <laughs> you're from New York and they instantly think like, oh, you grew up like, you know, in Manhattan, Gossip Girls is like, no, that really wasn't my lifestyle. Right. I grew up an hour and a half outside of New York in the suburbs in a small town um, where everybody knows everybody's business. Uh, and then later moved to, to New York when I went to college and started my career. Right. Uh, but eventually, you know, migrated out here west and fell in love with everything Los Angeles. Um, and yeah, here we are today. Uh, so I, I have worked in the finance industry for the last 15 years. Um, in a number of different roles, but for the last uh, just over a decade have been a financial advisor. So I work with individuals and families and small business owners to really help them sort out, educate them on how to manage their Jeez. finances, you know, tips to n not only, uh, I always say there are two parts to, to financial management. There's the science, which is just the numbers, and mm -hmm. then there's the art. So Great. there's a creative aspect to financial planning and financial management that you have to recognize, you have to deal with your emotions mm. because overcoming your emotions is such a big thing when Jeez. it comes to money. Mm. I mean, right. Money yeah. right. is connected to every aspect of your life. Um, <laughs> so the recognition that it's, it's gonna make you feel some type of way uh, is so important in, in, in managing that. So that's, uh, I've really built a business around that concept. Wow. Um, and yeah, I serve the greatest clients in the city and I get to work in the best parts of the city and super grateful for that. Yeah, you, you can't so cool. see this through the podcast, but his office literally overlooks Los Angeles. It's it's absolutely incredible. So beautiful. Yeah, here's a question for you, Andrew. Is, you know, is your career the result of a passion or is your career just the result of, you know, hey, this looks like it's going to make me money. This is the right direction. Or is this something that came out of a passion for you? That's such a brilliant question. Uh, and one that I wish I could just say, oh, my God, this is such a passion for me. But the reality is I got into this business for all of the wrong reasons. <laughs> so I was um, I was a finance major and economics minor in college, uh, you know, studied at a business school, was, you know, within proximity, just a you know, five minute train ride into midtown Manhattan. So the natural thought was, hey, this is a guy who's gonna go into finance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the financial industry growing up was kind of your meal ticket out. So mm -hmm. I grew up in a pretty normal middle class family. Uh, you know, we weren't poor. We always had, you know, food on the table. I never feared of, you know, starving. We took a family vacation but I knew we weren't wealthy. Right, right. Um, and really, I knew we weren't wealthy because I, I didn't understand or know much about money growing up. Jeez. So what I did know is that my parents said no to me a lot. They said no <laughs> to new shoes. They said no <laughs> yeah. to name brand right, clothes. Right, right. They said no to you know four-wheelers and dirt bikes when all my friends were getting these things. So to me, money became the ticket out. If wow. I can get money, I can get the stuff I want. Mm. If I can get money, I can go on the ski trips that my parents couldn't pay for. If I can get money, I can I can do more things. Right. Um, so, in college, I, I went to a to a school that had a lot of students that were pretty pretty affluent. Um, I was lucky enough to get a, a scholarship to go there, but I was surrounded by kids who 
were given a lot of money to wow. shop and go right. out and spend on meals. And I was eating at the cafeteria every day. <laughs> uh, so I, I followed this path into finance because to me, it seemed like the most natural way to make as much money as possible. And I was very ignorant and I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was you know, 24 years old. Um, my first career was in a private equity firm uh, as a stockbroker. And it sounds really cool, but it's not. So <laughs> that doesn't, that's not like, you know, Shia LaBeouf on Wolf of Wall Street 2 or go back to Charlie Sheen and Bud Fox and Gordon Gecko. <laughs> that was not yeah. what I was doing. Uh, you were making thousands and thousands of dials a day, cold calling Jeez. potential mm -hmm. investors yeah. and trying to sell them stocks. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it was a lot of work for very, very little money. Uh, my first year out of school, I made $19,000 uh, living in Manhattan. This was in 2006. So wow. that doesn't go very far. Hey, you can't live. You can <laughs> survive maybe. You can't live. You barely are surviving. Right. Um, so, but it was a, a rat race of trying to chase the 1% of people in that path mm. who were making an exorbitant amount of money. Um, so to take it back to why did I get into this career, I got into it to chase money for all the wrong reasons, right? Uh, which drove me down a very selfish and dark path. Mm. <clears throat> Oddly enough, that brought me to Los Angeles. And in Los Angeles was where I found a lot of redemption in my career. Wow. I found where I belonged. I found where my gift mix matched what, you know, what it was that I wanted to do and could do. Um, if you go back to high school and you probably asked me, what did I want to do? I would have been a math teacher and I would Stop. have been a, a, uh, a high school coach for like track and field or something wow. like that. Because growing up, I loved my math teachers and I loved my high school track coach. And I thought, they're great people. This would be a really yeah, awesome thing totally. to do. And then I found out how much math teachers and high school track coaches made. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is not going to... You'd, have to, you'd have to do both at the same time. Right. Right. And, and duplicate myself seven I times. I wanted to be an English teacher and write fantasy novels. <laughs> like, how nerdy is that? Right. Now I just write fantasy novels. You should. You should. I would read your fantasy novels. I'll send it over. Oh you probably write about aliens. No. Come on. Not. Come on. Elves, no, he's for dwarves, sure. Yeah, he's a wizards, he's an elves guy. Stuff, he's okay? a wizards guy. You're, for you're sure. talking sci-fi, Andrew. I'm talking fantasy. It's my <laughs> two different genres. Okay, <laughs> two, it's Star Wars, right? That's uh, that's sci-fi. You can okay? tell how much we fiction have Lord I of the read. Rings. Okay, that's that's me. Okay, I'm gonna get a Deathly Hollows Harry Potter tattoo coming up soon. So just be on the lookout for that. Oh I God. I could not even tell you the last fiction book I've read, if, if ever. I don't even know if I've completed a complete fiction really? book in my entire life. Let me send you over, I, I have a, you know, maybe a, what's the word, compendium of fiction books? I'm kidding. I don't, you know, Wouldn't maybe I do, it. but I don't, but I do. Oh my God. But I don't. Stop. <laughs> How do we get here? I don't know. So okay. I would, I, I found growing up that I love to coach. I was a natural leader mm. in any context that uh, I was in, sports teams and you know, groups of friends and, and things of that nature. And I loved being an educator. Um, so when I started my career, I wasn't educating anybody. I was just aggressively trying to sell something. Wow. Uh, and more often than not, something I didn't believe in. Mm. So as my career progressed, you know, I found myself in my current role where I don't, I don't sell anything. I just educate, coach, and advise people. 
Yeah. Um, and that's where I found I feel most at home. I, I like being a teacher. Yeah. I like being a leader. I like b- being a problem solver. Um, so yeah, got into the business for all the wrong reasons, but I found that, you know, through a journey of self-discovery, understanding who I was and mm-hmm. wow. uh, understanding my priorities where money is not the most important thing to me today. Right. right? 15 years ago, that's all I could think about. Mm. Um, you know, I found a, a lot of uh, fulfillment throughout my career. Jeez. That's awesome. I, I really feel like you just touched on so many different aspects. To be honest, I feel like this is going to be, you know, part one of our first conversation on the first cup. I have a feeling that you're going to be back on this podcast uh, a few a few mm-hmm. different times. And, um, you know, Andrew's come in to our Bible college at Zoe Leadership College. Shout out to Zoe Church. Shout out to Zoe Leadership ZLC. College. ZLC. And I get the privilege and honor to direct the Zoe Leadership College at our church. And we've brought Andrew in to, to kind of exactly what he's talking about, instruct, teach, and he has such a gift to do that. And uh-huh. so we've brought him in to teach our students how to build budgets, how to be financially savvy and safe and how to invest. And we kind of wanted to jump into some of those things here on the podcast, you know, some really practical things. I think we get a lot of um, meta or idealistic ideas of finances or pictures of finances and not a lot of pragmatic real advice for people this is a step i can take practically and so bryce and i have uh we've written a list of questions for you you took a look at the list and said these are very common questions but they're the wrong questions i'm just going to read a few of them and then i'm going to let you kind of you know school us on what are the right questions how should young people or, or anybody be thinking about finances so some of the questions we, we wrote down what is the minimum amount of money i need to start Uh, to use to invest? What's the difference between working for my money and making my money work for me? How do I know what type of financial goals I should be setting? See, I'm reading these and I'm like, I want to know these answers, you know? Uh, How do I get out of debt? I think so much of the conversation is this conversation. How do I get out of debt? And so, you know, I wanted to kind of ask you, what are some of these, what are the right questions we should be asking? Are these some of the right questions? Are we, you know, a little too far away or what are some things that we should be thinking about when it comes to general finances or yeah. personal finances? I think anytime you're talking about money management, um, you know, and starting to take control of that for yourself, you always have to start with the first thing. Mm. And the first thing is income, oh. period. Mm-hmm. So I think before you talk about budget, investing, how much do I invest? Is it too early, too late? Uh, You have to get a control on your income. And, uh, you know, if there's young people listening today, I would say that the focus should be on controlling your budgets, but should, you know, in your early 20s and, you know, through your 30s, that's the greatest period in time to be focusing on how can I maximize my income. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a very practical person. You know this. Yeah. Uh, I think that we live in a culture today that is super idealistic, which I love. Right. And we live in a culture today where entrepreneurship has been absolutely glorified, which I love. Right. But I think there's also a very practical stance that where we have to understand uniquely for ourselves where do I have the ability to just make the most money? Right. So I'll, right. I'll take you back, I'll give you an example. My, my first career, 
I was a stockbroker. I was making $19,000 a year. This is not a lot of money at all. My, it didn't even cover all of my rent. Right. <clears throat> I was teaching swim lessons on the side just to be able to cover all of my expenses. Wow. And I realized after probably too long of a period of time that this wasn't terribly practical for me. And I knew what I needed at that period of time in my life was more sustainable income. I needed more resource to mm. be able to just live. I didn't want to have to rely on my parents. My parents, quite frankly, couldn't support me. I didn't want to have to rely on going into debt. So when I wound up leaving that job, I went and I worked for a bank, which if I have to be honest, at that period of time was the last thing that I wanted to do. I did not want to go work for this institution. Right. To me, in my mind, I was taking a step down. Jeez. I was doing a job that was beneath me, that mm. I was overqualified for. I was doing something that wasn't, you know, where I saw the vision of myself. Wow. But I knew that it had a salary that was higher. I knew that it came with some benefits. I mm. knew that I had a 401k package. I knew that it mm. came Jeez. with all these things that a big institution can provide that being a stockbroker at a small private equity firm wasn't going to provide. So I bit the bullet and really more out of desperation. By the way, desperation is an unbelievable fuel for success. Jeez. Mm. Write uh, that down. I, I took this job. And when I took this job, it started to open up doors because the financial stresses of my life started to be, be alleviated. So now I started to get out of debt. I started to, for the first time, save a little bit mm. of money. And now I was able to understand just my, my industry in a different way. And it opened up new doors. It was because I took that first job, I said that first yes to something that I just didn't want to do. Right. It was in a location I didn't want to be. It was with people that I didn't want to be with and more of a reflection of my bad attitude at the time. But in taking that job, it's what opened the doors for me to come to California. Wow. It's what propelled me to make, you know, people talk about climbing the corporate ladder. When I moved to California, I made a leapfrog jump simply because not based on my talents or who I was, but I was just at the right time at the, mm. in the right place. And um, the opportunity just presented itself. Mm. Wow. But I always think back, if I didn't make that first yes to taking that job, to taking care of my immediate needs, none of that would have opened up right. for me. Mm. Um, I, I think this is a conversation I have constantly with young people, is this idea of I don't have a lot of money and I'm trying to get a job. I can't find a job. You know, my first question is, Okay, well, what what are your what are the parameters for for your job? You know, and they tell me these huge lofty goals. I want this job. It's their dream job. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I think you just need to get a job to pay for your rent. <laughs> yeah. Just just put, get your foot in the door. Get any job because some income is better than no income whatsoever. You know, or people say I, I've applied everywhere and no one is giving me an interview. I asked him, okay, well, how many places do you apply? Well, I applied to six places. Six right. places. <laughs> Your full-time job, if you don't have a full-time job, is to get a full-time job. Yeah. Right. Like, six, you should be applying to six places during your lunch break. You right. know, like, this yeah. is every, you know. I remember when I first moved to Los Angeles, I applied to 180 different places. Yeah. Wow. Because I, I, just, I just took it seriously. and It didn't matter to me where it was because I knew crazy. that's not going to be the last place I'm ever going to be. Right. This is just the place in the meantime, that will give me an opportunity later on to be in a healthy position to get a job somewhere else. 100%. And I think that, 
you know, it, it, in today's day and age, when I hear people say, I can't find a job, I know you're not looking. You're not yeah. looking. We're, we're in one of the greatest economies our country has ever experienced. Mm -hmm. wow. There are more businesses, they are hiring, they <laughs> right. are paying. To uh, let's be honest, five years from now, if the economy turns the other way, the job market won't be the same. Right. And, you know, it'll be tougher to find jobs. So this is, I think, one of the greatest periods in time for young people who are entering mm -hmm. the workforce to get their foot, you know, in the door with a company. It doesn't have to be their dream job. Right. It doesn't have to be their dream company. But, you know, really, I think the, the first part <coughs> is, hey, is this something that I'm, I'm qualified or I can do or, mm -hmm. you know, mm. isn't going to just completely frustrate me to wake up and hate going to work? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then does it just meet my income requirements? Mm -hmm. And I think we all should have income requirements. Um, yeah. And yeah, and then go after them. And I think that speaks to uh, a bigger ideal, which is I think we should all have our list of priorities and goals. And if your goal is to have this job up here, but you're starting down here, how do you get from A to B, right? There's steps in between. If you want to make this much money, those are your financial goals, but right now you're only making this much, what are the steps to get to that level? And I think you have to be very intentional and specific about figuring those things out and what are the steps. Otherwise, you're just going to be stuck at this level and you're not really going to find the motivation or direction even to get out of that. Well said. Yeah. Very well said. Um, I think going from here right where you mentioned income what are some you know practical ways maybe not just a nine-to-five job you know we talk often about um, other sources of income or you know having money work from you or work for you maybe that gets into the conversation of investing but you know what are some other <coughs> ways I know for me for example um, when I first moved to Los Angeles right I got a job as a barista at Nordstrom at the e-bar and quickly got promoted to sales associate on the kids wear floor, you know, selling all sorts of kids wear stuff, strollers, all that fun stuff. And I remember, you know, on, on the side, two hours before my shift, I would set up a photo shoot, start taking pictures mm -hmm. in the fashion industry. Cause that's, I worked at Nordstrom two hours after my shift. I'm, I have another shoot, you know, that I set up during my lunch break. I would shoot and do all the social media for the Nordstrom I was at in Santa Monica you know, like, there's just this idea that I'm going to hustle. I'm going to make, yeah. you know, I'm not just going to make enough. I'm going to make ends meet, you know, like what are some practical ways that we can be looking at making income maybe past our nine to fives? Yeah, it's so brilliant. I think that your nine to five should be, you know, to cover that should be kind of your core income, let's call it. Mm -hmm. And if it's not enough. That's fine. I, I understand that. Or if you're looking to grow, you're looking to save more money, the goal is more income. So yeah. how do you create more income? Um, I, I love that where, where you really just took something you were passionate about, something mm -hmm. you were good at, and you just kind of translated that into business. I had a, a similar story when I wasn't making enough, even at that first bank job when I was making a real salary and had real benefits, it wasn't enough. Um, so I, I coached a kid's swim team. And at six o'clock, I would leave the office, I would drive over to the local high school, and for two hours, I would coach a, a high school swim team, and they paid me for that. And then that led me to then coaching an adult swim team at mm -hmm. the local YMCA, and I would 
I would leave the office, go from six to eight uh, at the high school with the kids, and then eight to 10 at the YMCA <laughs> with the adults. And that was my days, Monday through Friday. I was yeah. in the office wow. by eight. Come I was on. home at, at 10, so 30, 11 o'clock right. at night. Yeah. Uh, and then it was rinse and repeat. Mm. And most of my weekends were filled with swim meets. So right. I didn't really have a life in my, my early 20s. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, that was what I did to just generate and create more income. I think there's 101 million different ways to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the premise of all business to me is sales. So the ability to sell something, right? Mm. We live in this great age where you can sell something through any medium, through your cell phone. Yeah. You right. know, offer up eBay, Amazon. Mm-hmm. There's Craigslist, so many different right. ways to, to do this. StockX. Shoes is a huge industry, flipping shoes. You could literally make six figures just selling shoes. Right. So I think if you, if you know what you're doing, it, I don't know anything about shoes. Right. But if I did, I think that's a great way to you know, get in line and, mm. you know, buy a pair of Yeezys or Nikes or Adidas or whatever's cool, whatever the kids are wearing these days. I still wear K-Swiss. Skechers. The Gary V K-Swisses? I, not <laughs> even those. I wear like $32 K-Swisses. That's so funny. Stop. From the Kmart down the street that's going out of business? Probably. I don't yeah. know. My wife buys them for me. I don't even buy them myself. <laughs> that's hilarious. But, I love that. Uh, you know, if you, if you know about those things and you, you follow those mm-hmm. trends and you're, mm. you're into that, that world and, yeah, you can buy these sneakers at $100, $200 and people are selling them for like seven, eight hundred, a thousand bucks. Right. Well, and I think the key there is, is you said if you know about these things, well, how do you know about these things? You put in the time to find out about them. And I think a lot of... Uh, my or the younger generation, uh, I sound like an old guy, but like a lot of young people, and I, I had this mentality for a long time, I think, is if you're working a, a nine to five job, you're working 40, 50 hours a week, you kind of have this idea or mentality that like, oh, I don't have any time to do anything. You know, I'm just swamped at work. But if you look at it and you break it down realistically, if you're working 50 hours a week, you're sleeping, uh, you know, another 50 or whatever, you spend this much time grocery shopping, doing all this, you probably most likely are left over with at least 50 hours of free time every week. Wow. I mean, minimal. And that's giving you time to hang out, watch TV, whatever, and still have this much time. So you literally have enough time to add on another full-time job. So if you're passionate about something, use that time to, to research your passion. Use that time if you want to make more money. Use that time to figure out what's the best way to make more money right now. What's my best mm. option for second income? You know, I think there's so many things we can do and we're able to do that we just don't realize because we're stuck to our phones or we're in the habit of doing stuff that we don't realize is really wasting hours and hours a day. I love right. that new feature on the iOS 12 screen time. You guys I hate know about that, that new feature. I, I hate love that it. It tells me how much. No, I love I it because it shows me how much. I mean, granted, a lot of that might be GPS or right. you know whatever right. that could be functional. But Let's like, be honest, Instagram is number one on everybody's list. <laughs> I don't. I don't <laughs> I, even. I, have I an do Instagram. not doubt that at all. I'm kidding. Stop it. I have an Instagram. I know, mine is underscore YouTube. Doomloud. Just you know, I'm not going to plug it. But if you guys want to follow Anyways. me, anyway, you know, <laughs> stop. <laughs> Yeah, I don't um, think time is the issue. I, right. And I, I do think that if you're looking at uh, another option for a second source of income, make it natural. I would never look at shoes or look to flip shoes because I don't know anything about it, nor does it really interest me. Um, but if that's what you're, you're into, um, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I use swimming. Nate, you, you use photography. 
you know, Bryce, if you're doing shoes because you're into shoes, you know. Es- you- essentially monetize your hobby. If, if it's your hobby, if you're going to spend, spend time on it, you might as well use it to make money. And or your passion, I think. Yeah, you know, we live right now where if you love to play video games, start a Twitch account, you know, and make money playing video games. You right. Know, you, you can literally make money doing anything. Figure out what your hobby is and, and make some money off of it. Let, let's, let's keep going, Andrew. I feel like uh, maybe uh, I would love to have a conversation about maybe some money myths that we can dispel or some things that just in, in your experience or your life, maybe some questions that people are asking and they're not the right questions. You know, what are some things that you really think should be on the forefront? You already mentioned income, but from there. Great. So uh, something I hear a lot is I don't have a, uh, any money to save. Mm-hmm. So this is something that you hear all the time. All the yeah. time. And the reality is saving money is just not a priority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, last year we saw the largest tax bill uh, come into legislation since 1986. Jeez. Now, let's say, and this isn't what happened, but let's say as a part of that tax bill, everybody in America was going to get taxed 20% more. You don't have an option. Right. You're going to pay that tax. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Done. Money is just gone. You, you have to pay that. So now you mm-hmm. have to figure out how to live on 20% right. less. I think the, the issue with with saving is we we just don't prioritize it. Yeah. So um, I I want to encourage people to make saving a priority. Make it a tax. Mm. Tax yourself. Jeez. Create your own self-imposed wow. tax system. I'm taxing myself ten percent of my paycheck every single week, every single month. How whatever mode you get paid, yep. mm-hmm. uh, tax yourself. There's a brilliant story story about a guy named Theodore Johnson. UPS worker made fourteen thousand dollars a year. Jeez. Never made more in his career. Mm. Wow! He took this rule. He taxed himself twenty percent. Threw it into some no thought, low risk investments. Mm-hmm. By the time he died, he left a seventy million dollar estate. There's wow! A very famous story. Tony Robbins talks about it a lot. Um, you can look it up. Incredible. Theodore Johnson, UPS worker or FedEx, one of the the shipping companies. He's just a mail clerk guy. He's a middle management type of guy in an era where $14,000 was probably a lot of money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he taxed himself. He made it consistent Mm. and he made it disciplined. Um, So I think the myth of I don't have any money to save is just really saying saving money for myself is not a priority. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be the first one. Second one is really understanding and you know, a lot of finance people talk about this, the power of compounding interest. The yeah. greatest thing that we have on our side when it comes to, to money is time. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's the one thing you cannot create more of. And compounding interest is this idea that your, your earnings and your interest will earn interest over time mm-hmm. and that the effect of that compounds greater and greater and greater. Mm. So over a 10, 20, 30, 40 year period of time, it's, it's how Warren Buffett became the richest man in the world. But compounding interest, when you really break it down to its core, is really a principle of discipline mm-hmm. and consistency. Yeah. So uh, I've always saved and invest money in retirement accounts and savings accounts. And my one rule is, no matter how desperate I am, I'll never take money out of my investment accounts ever. I've never, I've always put money in. I've never taken it out. Wow. And there have been times when I've wanted to, when cash flow is tight, when yeah. 
tough times have hit and emergencies happen and extra expenses that weren't planned for and the bank accounts are looking low. But I never take money out of my investment accounts because that's the discipline that I said, hey, that money's there, it's long term, it's growing, it's a, I'll never take money out of these accounts. Mm. I think for too many people, they make it too easy yeah. to break their own rules. Hey, I'm gonna save well, this money for an emergency. I'm gonna yeah. save this money for, for long term. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, a trip with their friends becomes the yeah, next Yeah, the emergency. new iPhone becomes an emergency. Right. Well, my old one's <laughs> broken. It's got a cracked screen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not it's, even that. My old one doesn't have an, as good of a camera. I, I right. have to get, for my business, I need to get this new, yeah. new iPhone. <laughs> right. But I'm, I'm empathetic to people who have emergencies, right? right? Yeah. And who have things like, hey, like, I don't have a car now. My, my car exploded, right? Yeah. Well, I got into a car accident two years ago, and for two years, I Ubered everywhere. Jeez. Mm. Everywhere. Right. I probably could have bought a car. I could have, you know, took some money out of my savings and, and put some money down. But I made the decision, well, I didn't plan for this expense. Mm. And, you know, I, I want to save money and be in a position of financial strength, not a place of financial desperation where I'm making mm. these emotional decisions. Mm. So I waited two years and, and then I bought a car. Wow. Are, there, are there anything that you'd say, you know, you know, I hear you using language like I'll, I'll never take money out of my investment i'm only going to put it in but is there anything that you know for example something happens and it's like well i can either not pay rent and you know or i'm facing collections or something like that but i have all this money but i'm just i'm not going to take it you know is there anything yes. at some point where it's like hey th- this isn't the best situation but i have to take it out or is this something that we should look at like it's a you know a, a locked you know, safe that the key doesn't work until we reach a certain amount of age, you know, a certain age or a certain point in life? Or is this something where it's like, wow, if I don't do this, I'm going to go to collections, my credit's going to get hit, you know, I, I really do need to take this money out. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, we just have to be kind of practical when making decisions. <laughs> so, you know, my first question to somebody in that situation is, how do you have money saved but still end up in collections? Yeah. So there's, there's an already a disconnect there, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So there's something that led us to collections. There's something. Now I, I get emergencies, right? Health and medical and you know family emergencies, things like that. Um, but that's when you should take a hundred percent, and yeah. it's it's when the 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 pain or the consequence of you know not taking the action to cover whatever bill expense mm-hmm. is going to be greater than what the benefit of keeping that money saved is going mm. to be. Um, so you said again. Yeah, I think it's it's when the the pain of the consequence of whatever uh, situation may arise, emergency bill, is going to be greater than what the benefit of you leaving that money saved will be. Mm-hmm. So that that's when it's like, hey, I, I got to take money here, and I got to mm-hmm. I got to put it over here. Um, and again, I, I'm super empathetic to situations like that, but it's it's also why you know, you plan for emergencies, Mm -hmm. you'd be shocked at how often I I talk to, especially young people, and I ask them what their budget is. Most people don't have a budget, but they have some idea of what they spend. Mm. And when they rattle off their expenses, they read me their rent, they read me, you know, their car payment, payment, insurance, insurance, cell phone bill, Mm -hmm. you know, utilities, internet, that kind of stuff. And then maybe then I'll have to remind them and, and you eat right. So what do you what do you spend in right. food? Oh, and they estimate in food. 
and you you shop, it looks like you're wearing clothes. So what do you? And they There's don't gas actually car. think about There's, all of the expenses. Yeah. And then once we get through all of like kind of the practical life needs and, and expenses, then it, those are the things they don't think of. Well, mm-hmm. didn't you spend five hundred dollars for you know tires or brakes or mm. whatever it may yeah. be? Well, yeah, but that doesn't happen every month. No, but next right. month don't you have a dentist appointment? Yeah. The DMV, yeah, all that stuff. So unexpected things seem to happen all the time. Yeah. So I think we should just expect them to happen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's why we preach, you know, having an so emergency good. savings, having yeah. money built right. up and, and saved. Um, everybody should have a thousand dollars. That should be the goal. First goal is just get a thousand dollars tucked away for for emergencies. Yeah, in an account, cash. What should that look like? Uh, you know, I mean, you, you do it however you want to do it. Accessible but not too accessible type of thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, there's m- my wife is the let's keep cash in the house type of a person. She's Asian. Mm-hmm. I can say that because I married an Asian, so they like to keep cash. Sorry. I'm also Asian for all the people on the podcast. I, I feel the same way. I, I don't keep cash in the house. I want to keep it in the bank. Yeah. Safer there. So <laughs> where you where you save your cash? I don't care if you put it in a shoebox under your bed or at the bank or yeah. online or Bank of right. America or whatever. Like, uh, doesn't matter. Yeah, but you should save it somewhere. It's right, right. be somewhere that you can you can access it if you need it. Yeah, Andrew, we're just about out of time for this podcast, which is a shame. I feel like we could again. We're gonna have to have you on a few more times. You know, this is part one of Andrew Money Mart's on the first for sure. podcast. Wow. But, um, you know, I think maybe we could just ask a few rapid-fire questions. Let's go. So, first answer that comes to mind, okay? Um, these are rapid-fire questions, um, and they're going to be pretty practical. So, the first one, uh, what's your morning routine? Yeah, morning routine, I think, is uh, seasonal for me. <laughs> but um, I'm an early riser, and I start my day immediately. So, uh, usually it's shower, dress, to the office. Mm-hmm. Um, once I get to the office, I have two young kids, so once I get to the office, that's when I, I get a little reading time, I get a little quiet time, I get a little prayer time. Um, you know, So that usually takes me about 30, 40 minutes in the day, and then I'm off and running. Okay, uh, next question for you. I'm gonna take one from Tim Ferriss's, uh, <coughs> one from his podcast that he loves to ask his readers. If you were to gift any book to someone, what would it mm-hmm. be? That's a good one. Gift a book. Yeah. If I was going to gift a book, well, this is uh, the the financial podcast. I'm going to go Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert ah, Kiyosaki. Yeah, classic, awesome. I was I thought you were going to say the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I thought you were going to say something like the Bible, and I was going to be like, give us something else. <laughs> no, give us something else. Okay, you Just go steal that from your local hotel. You are stranded on an island, okay, with a with the best chef in the world of the cuisine of your choice for mm. whatever reason it just ended up that you're also stranded with everything you need for the rest of your life for that chef to make you the best food i'm talking the kitchen the ingredients everything i don't know how this happened it's a miracle but that's it you're stranded on an island what cuisine of food are you stranded on for the rest of your life we're going italian italian food for the rest of my life yeah wow i'm going italian i'm going carbs <laughs> pasta sauce chicken wow. parm i'm mm. going italian Bryce, you too. I mean, I like right off the bat. Yeah, like that's the first thing that comes to mind. Give me some pizza. Either that or Thai. I don't know. Ooh, 
really into Thai. I was gonna say Japanese food. I was I was ready to answer that question when you said island with a chef. I already yeah. knew. <laughs> as soon as you said I was, food, I was just waiting to jump yeah. on that one. Italian food all day. Yeah. Okay, give me uh, your last listen to podcast. Episode number three of the First Cup podcast. Wow. Oh, get out of here. So, okay, my, my favorite, here. one of my favorite podcasts right now, um, two guys, uh, one's out of New York, one's out of Michigan. It's called Animal Spirits, the Animal Spirits mm. podcast. Um, shout out, guys, Michael Batnick. Uh, you guys want to call me, be a guest on your podcast, <laughs> more than happy. Um, it is a, a really practical investing uh, podcast. It's hmm. uh, they have a lot of current events. They kind of have a wacky, dry humor to them that I enjoy. Hmm. Um, but it's really relevant current current things going on in the markets and in you know uh, politics and culture. So it's called Animal Spirits. The Animal Spirits podcast. We'll link it in the in the description for the podcast. Hmm. Animal Spirits. It's a great name. Yeah, Very I catchy. did not think it was going to be about invest yeah. investments. I totally thought it was going to go somewhere else. But <laughs> Animal Spirits. Okay, last one. If you could tell the twenty, the twenty-one-year-old version of yourself any one piece of advice, what are you telling yourself? Well, this is probably an answer for a whole other podcast, but um, I would tell twenty-one-year-old Andrew: be patient and trust what your parents tell you. So good. Jeez, I'm twenty-eight. I'm going to take that right now. Come on. Well, <laughs> hey, Andrew, thank you so much for yeah. joining us on the First Cup podcast, adding so much value. I can't wait to have you again uh, back on the podcast. If you're willing to come back on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So much fun. I would love to come back. And Andrew, I think you need to start your own podcast. Don't you think, Bryce? 100%. Be on we'll, the lookout. Will producer Bryce make my intro music? Absolutely. If producer Bryce makes my intro music and gives me a sound, I'm, I'm in. Bryce, can you give us a preview right now? I I would no I cannot <laughs> alright well hey thank you so much for listening and we'll see you guys on the next episode of the first cup 